Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of our Minute CME curriculum. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Hello, my name is Manpreet Singh. I am at psychiatry in Stanford University, and today we're going to be talking about the journey from diagnosis to effective management of bipolar 1 and 2 depression. The bipolar spectrum is a really important one to understand. Even um, Kraepelin thought and conceptualized a bipolar disorder so many years ago as being on a continuum. And because it's on a continuum, it can lead to misdiagnosis because at any given time, you might be anywhere on this spectrum. Starting from more of the depression dominant uh, aspect of the condition to maybe more of the manic aspect of the condition. And because it's episodic, another potential challenge in terms of getting to the right diagnosis and quickly. You know, these classifications might be useful for clinical practice to understand the distinctions between bipolar 1 disorder, bipolar 2 disorder, unspecified, and then major depressive disorder as a completely separate entity. But frankly, humans don't work that way. They are on a continuum. Nature isn't always cut very cleanly at its seams. And this is really important because treatment response, whether it's to an antidepressant or a mood stabilizing agent, as well as links to family history of bipolar disorder can offer some helpful clues to a diagnostician trying to figure out where on this continuum does my patient fall. We can use probabilistic approaches to help us make an accurate diagnosis. For example, you can use clinical history, treatment history, and symptoms all layered together to make uh, and arrive at a bipolar diagnosis. And any of these factors in and of themselves aren't necessarily diagnostic, but they help you understand that this is a condition that can have layers of potential risk factors. And being attuned to each of those layers, whether it's a family history, the number of lifetime episodes, the number of hospitalizations, rapid onset of depressive episodes, the greater severity of the depressive episodes, or the quality of the depression helps you tune in and maybe even stimulate you to think about whether or not you ought to be ruling out bipolar disorder. Similarly, looking at treatment history. People who don't respond well to antidepressant or, in fact, experience antidepressant-induced manias might be likely to be on the path towards bipolar disorder. So that's something to also keep track of. And then symptoms like psychotic features, atypical depressive symptoms, sub-threshold mania symptoms, impulsivity, aggression, hostility, and co-occurring substance use can all point towards a diagnosis of bipolar disorder. So if we think of bipolar disorder on a continuum or on a spectrum, then we can imagine that treatments might also fall along a spectrum. So we'll be looking at this sort of color-coded uh, from blue to red, where depression is indicated in more uh, of the blue phase of illness and then mania in the more the red phase and purple somewhere in between. If you have bread and butter depression without any, any history of mania or hypomania, then you're going to treat it with an antidepressant. But when you see any evidence of mania or hypomania symptoms, then you might ask yourself, are they coinciding and overlapping with um, 
um, depressive episodes, might second generation antipsychotics in that context make sense? Or am I doing an acute mood stabilization of someone who is floridly manic, who might need to be on a mood stabilizer to begin with, and then continue from there? Only patients with essentially no symptoms of mania or hypomania should be considered for antidepressant therapy. And unipolar depression, bipolar disorder, does it matter in terms of choosing the best treatment? You bet it does. And that's why um, ruling out mania and hypomania becomes so critical early in the stages of diagnostic evaluation. So antidepressant monotherapy for bipolar depression? Might you even try it ever? Try not to, please. Antidepressant monotherapy really should not be used in patients even with a hint of hypomania or mania or even a family history of bipolar disorder requires some thought and consideration. We don't have enough empirical data to really exclude antidepressant therapy for anyone who has a family history of bipolar disorder and doesn't present with any lifetime mania or hypomania symptoms. But those data are coming, I promise you. You will most likely not know if your depressed patient has ever had any risk of um, mania or hypomania or a family history if you don't ask. So please ask every time with every patient. And any patient on antidepressant monotherapy should regularly be monitored for response to that therapy and the emergence of hypomania. Here's a landscape of uh, second-generation antipsychotics for adult bipolar disorder. The treatment landscape includes, again, a combination of 5-HT2 and dopamine um, receptor antagonists and partial agonists, and you've gotten uh, you've got FDA approvals for certain ones um, that are for bipolar depression, um, including bipolar one depression and bipolar. 2 depression, and I will point to two that are FDA approved for bipolar 2 depression, including lumateperone and quetiapine. Just so you have a sense of the um, abbreviations, DMX stands for depressive mixed state and MMX stands for mania with mixed features. And you can, again, see that the armamentarium is broad and there are lots of FDA-approved options, but you can also see that there are some gaps here in um, uh, for maintenance treatment as well as for the treatment of unipolar depression with mixed features, as I mentioned to you before, which does not have FDA approval. Mood stabilizers for adult bipolar disorder include uh, a number of agents that have had um, a number of clinical trials, including carbamazepine, lamotrigine, lithium, and valproate. You have FDA approvals for bipolar mania for three out of the four agents and FDA approval for bipolar maintenance for lamotrigine and lithium. But as you can see here, we have many more unmet needs for patients um, in terms of efficacy and um, FDA approvals for bipolar depression. There's no mood stabilizer that's approved for use of de in depression for, of any kind, unipolar, mixed, or bipolar. And there are some data for the efficacy of lamotrigine or valproate for bipolar depression, but we don't have approvals for maintenance um, uh, for sorry for bipolar depression treatment with mood stabilizers. And lithium is well known for its anti-suicide effects. Sadly, not utilized enough, but neither lithium nor carbamazepine monotherapy is recommended for treatment of bipolar depression. 
So we tend to use these agents for acute mood stabilization in an acute manic episode. For kids, here's the treatment landscape. And just to add to this um, uh, landscape of unmet needs, we still need more uh, FDA-approved agents for bipolar 1 depression um, and for longer-term treatment. But the two that are approved for bipolar 1 depression, 1 depression, are olanzapine fluoxetine down to age 10 and lorazidone down to age 10. We do not have any FDA-approved treatments for bipolar 2 depression in kids. So there are some unmet needs from the treatment of bipolar disorder in terms of the bipolar landscape. Um, we've got a number of uh, evidence-based therapeutics, but we have some work to do. In terms of screening, we often tend to either over-diagnose or under-diagnose bipolar disorder. If we ask about mania and hypomania every single time with every patient, we are less likely to miss it, and we are also less likely to overcall something that's not there if we do the due diligence and look for diagnostic criteria. In terms of diagnosis, there are a few unmet needs here to consider. We need to assess for symptoms and episodes as well as disorder criteria. We unfortunately don't have a blood test or other diagnostic test that's going to definitively say that someone has bipolar disorder, so it really requires clinical acumen. And sometimes it can be hard in a busy practice to um, implement measurement-based care, use a screen or use a um, mania rating scale or depression rating scale uh, um, in the clinic or practice. And I hope that someday we can get reimbursed for doing that. But patients can be empowered to use mood apps and mood charting can be a very effective tool in finding and screening for episodes of depression and mania. Treatment is a no one size fits all game right now. We need personalized treatments to help patients feel better well faster and with the right treatments. We have few FDA approved treatments for bipolar 2 disorder. Some treatments may even increase the risk for mania induction including the antidepressants and adherence can be challenging. So you have to mitigate the number of trial and error uh, episodes that you have with your patients in terms of treatment so that you can uh, increase trust. And side effects are prevalent, so we need better drugs um, that have a more favorable side effect profile. Thankfully, some of our newer agents do uh, have more favorable side effect profiles, so patients don't have to decide between akathisia or sedation and weight gain um, for um, a, a treatment of choice. And finally, we need to be thinking about our patients. Our patients are at the center of our diagnostic and treatment journey. And if we can effectively engage with them and partner with them on what matters most to them, we might be able to not just build trust, but also get them effectively evaluated and treated. Thank you so much for your time and attention. I hope this was helpful to you. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is jointly provided by Global Learning Collaborative, GLC, and Total CME Incorporated, and is part of our Minute CME curriculum. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com CME. Thank you for listening.